The best regular protein is whole chicken eggs. 48% of the amino acids are used by the body to build protein. When you take perfect amino, which is the eight essential amino acids, in a very specific ratio, 99% of the nitrogen is retained. If you take 10 grams on an empty stomach, there is no spike in insulin and there is no spike in blood sugar. You know, in today's world where we have an epidemic, you know, you need amino acids like mad because you want to make sure your immune system is in top shape. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Okay, friends, you guys know I am obsessed with the health benefits of protein, and it was so exciting to finally dive deep, deep, deep into the nitty gritty nuances of protein. We're talking amino acids, usability, the limiting factors into how you actually can utilize and assimilate protein. This episode is such a game changer, and I really think you guys are going to enjoy it. There will be a full transcript in the show notes. Those will be at melanieavalon.com slash perfect protein, and then there will be be two episode giveaways for this episode. One will be in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting plus Real Foods plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something I love. And then there will be a second giveaway on my Instagram, Melanie Avalon. Find the announcement post about this episode. And again, comment something you learned or that resonated with you to enter to win something I love. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male-centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal spirulina tablets on the market, ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you're currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experience the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? 
That's what I launched with, and to this day, it continues to be my most favorite supplement ever. It's a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. When you take it in the fasted state, it actually breaks down non-living problematic proteins in your body, so it can help address an array of issues. Like I said, it will clear your sinuses, calm inflammation, it may help reduce cholesterol. Studies have shown it can break down amyloid plaque. It can help alleviate pain and so much more. I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code MelanieAvalon, as well as a 20% off code when you text AvalonX to 877-861-8318. That's AvalonX to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash mdlogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. They come in glass bottles to help prevent leaching of plastics into ourselves and the environment. And we even use the minimal amount of stickiness required for the labels to help with our environmental impact. To get these fantastic products, go to avalonx.us and definitely get on my email list so that you don't miss the Spirulina launch special. For that, go to avalonx.us slash email list. Another resource for you guys if you struggle with food sensitivities like I do, you have got to get my app, Food Sense Guide. It's a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds. These include things you may be reacting to, like gluten, lectins, FODMAPs, histamine, oxalates, sulfites, thiols, whether or not something is a nightshade, and so much more. It even includes autoimmune paleo AIP status. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends, get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. With the subscriptions, by the way, I'm going to be implementing some pretty cool features. So I need to do subscriptions to help support that. So like I said, get it now. Before we change to subscriptions, you can get it at melanieavalon.com slash foodsenseguide. And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know there are over a thousand compounds found in conventional skincare and makeup in the U.S. that have been banned in Europe due to their toxicity? If you are using conventional skincare and makeup, you are directly putting into your bloodstream toxic compounds, including obesogens, which can literally cause your body to store and gain weight. So if your diet's not working, you might want to think about what's happening with your skincare and makeup, as well as carcinogens linked to cancer. I'm not making this up. And just endocrine disruptors in general, which mess with our hormones. Thankfully, there's an easy solution to this. There's a company called Beauty Counter and they were founded on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin so you can truly feel good about what you put on and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel, their vitamin C serum, they have shampoo and conditioner, skincare lines for every skin type and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all Beauty Counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code clean for all 20 to get 20% off site-wide. 
You can get the latest updates from me, specials, sales, samples, and so much more on my email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash clean beauty. And you can join me in my Facebook group, clean beauty and safe skincare with Melanie Avalon. People share product reviews and their experiences. And I do a giveaway every single week in that group as well. And lastly, if you're thinking of making clean beauty and safe skincare a part of your future, like I have, I definitely recommend becoming a band of beauty member. It's sort of like the Amazon prime for clean beauty. You get 10 back in product credit, free shipping on qualifying orders, and a welcome gift that is worth way more than the price of the year-long membership. It is totally completely worth it. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. An important announcement, friends. My EMF blocking products are coming. Make sure you don't miss the launch special. For that, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list. EMFs are actually classified by the IARC as a group 2B, possibly carcinogenic to humans. These are such a problem. We are exposed to them through our Wi-Fi, our cell phones, our AirPods, And they are linked to so many health issues, including anxiety, migraines, headaches, even fertility issues. This is such a problem. Thankfully, you can address your EMF exposure. I'm going to help with that with my Avalon X EMF blocking product line. So again, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list to check that out. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with Dr. David Menkoff. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I am about to have. So as listeners know, (laughs) out of all the macronutrients, I am very obsessed with protein. You guys know this. You know that I eat a lot of protein, that I often talk about the importance of protein. I've done quite a few episodes where we talk about a more general view of the importance of protein in our health But I have not done a really deep dive into protein. I was hoping to. And then a book came across my lap called The Search for the Perfect Protein, The Key to Solving Weight Loss, Depression, Fatigue, Insomnia, and Osteoporosis. So when I saw this title, I got really excited. I was like, I really hope that this is the deep dive that I would really like to explore on a really granular level. I read it. It turned out to be all of that and more. So I am so excited to be here today with the author, Dr. David Minkoff. I can tell listeners a little bit more about your bio, but Dr. Minkoff, thank you so much for being here. Very excited to talk to you, Melanie. All right. So like I said, I can let listeners know a little bit more. So you are board certified in pediatrics. You completed a fellowship in infectious diseases at the University of California in San Diego. That seems very timely for everything that we're experiencing today. You worked in emergency medicine at the Community Hospital of Newport. Is it Richie? Richie. Richie, Richie, Florida. And you also have extensive postgraduate training in complementary and alternative medicine. So it sounds like you're best of both worlds as far as conventional and then, like I just mentioned, alternative medicine goes. So to start things off, would you like to tell listeners a little bit about your personal story? What made you so interested in this macronutrient of protein and everything that you're doing today with it? Sure. I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin. And when I was 13 years old, my Boy Scout troop took us on a tour of Oscar Mayer Meatpacking Company, which is, was based in Madison, Wisconsin. And when I went through the slaughterhouse, I was like really turned off by the idea of what was happening to the animals. And I 
decided to become a vegetarian. My mother was really distraught about it because she was a very good cook and she wanted me to eat her food. And there was a big worry that if I was a vegetarian, I would become anemic. We sort of had a battle going on for years. And when I turned 16 and I wanted to get a driver's license, she said, unless I start eating meat, she wouldn't let me get a driver's license. I held out for a year and then she acquiesced. And, and that's sort of what happened. I wasn't eating necessarily very good because I didn't know anything. And that went on for a long time. And in 1982, which was a bunch of years after that, so I was training in pediatrics and infectious disease, and then eventually emergency medicine. And in 1982, I saw the Ironman triathlon on TV, and I decided I wanted to do an Ironman. And about six months later, went to Hawaii and did the Hawaii Ironman in 1982. So I was sort of pursuing a, a medical career, and then I was, I had, was very interested in athletics and, and was training a lot. I got an injury in uh, probably about 12 years ago where I pulled a hamstring and I could not get it to heal. And as a medical doctor, I had access to about anything to help me. And I massaged it and chiropractored it and, you know, supplemented it. And it just wouldn't get stable. And... I was meeting with a friend and he, he said, you know, there's a, you could, you could use amino acids maybe to create a better way to build protein than if you just tried to do it with regular proteins. And so I got a product that was in Europe and I started to experiment it and we sort of finagled with it. And after about six or eight weeks of taking this product, which is a mixture of the eight essential amino acids. And if you're into nutrition, most nutritional guidelines say that there's 10 essential amino acids, at least for old people and babies. But really there's eight that are, that sort of have to be there in order to make the body work. And I started experimenting with them. And in about six weeks, my hamstring healed. And I went to the track and I pushed it and it was fine. A few years before that, I had started a nutritional company because the way I got from emergency medicine to a more complementary holistic practice is because my wife had gotten sick after she decided to have the fillings, her, the, the silver mercury fillings in her mouth removed. She's a nurse and she was very health conscious. She was also a triathlete and she went to a dentist and he drilled them all out. And about six weeks after that, she got sick. She got thyroiditis and then hepatitis. And then one morning she woke up and she couldn't lift her arm up. And the neurologist, I was, you know, I'm in the emergency room. I know all the good doctors. I had her see everybody. And they thought that she was, that she had MS. They wanted to put her on, you know, big time, serious drugs, prednisone and interferon. And that really worried me. And we started to sort of look around as to what else could be done. Ran into a dentist who was a holistic dentist. And he said, maybe she's mercury toxic. And she was. And that sort of started a whole education and sort of transitioned me over to 
the kind of practice that I have today. And she got better. And so this amino acids, when I started putting in them into the practice, I saw big changes in many types of people. Menopausal women said their hair and their nails were growing better. And when we gave it to people with osteoporosis, their bones started to fill in. And athletes started to recover faster from their injuries. And we saw just a, just like maybe this was a nutrient that was sort of below the level of being looked at by nutritionists and doctors. When I used it for my own benefit, after my hamstring healed, I went to, to Canada and did Ironman Canada. I'd done the race many times. And I had my best time. And I had some major physiologic changes, like my maximum heart rate went up 12 points. And my lean body mass went up. And it really made a difference in how I felt and how I looked. That's kind of how I got into it. And then using it in the practice, it just made a huge difference. And I started to measure virtually everyone that we saw doing blood levels of amino acids. And I found that almost everybody was low. And that if we supplemented with the amino acids, we could bring their blood levels up and a lot of their chronic conditions got better. And so athletes started to use the product because they could heal faster and work out harder. And one of the guys who had won Ironman Hawaii twice started taking the product. And he would always, two months before he went to Kona for the race, would go to would go to Kona and he had a 150 mile ride that was his like final test ride. So two months before he does the ride and he called me in a panic when he got home from the ride because he said he'd done it 30 minutes faster than he'd ever done it before. And that he was afraid there were some kind of drugs in there and he was going to get in trouble. It's NSF certified, you know, there's no drugs in this. This is pure and it's, 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 you know, it's just what it is. He went on to win the race that year for the third time and have his best time ever. So there's a lot of application for it. And, and I could, there's a lot sort of aspects of this I could go into. But that's kind of the overview of how I got started and what I was looking for and kind of some of the effects that, that people ex- expect and can expect from it. Okay, that is an incredible story. And how many times have you done the Ironman? I've done 43 full Ironmans, about 200 half Ironmans. I wish there were more doctors that have your background as far as like the visceral experience of, you know, performing in your body. Because I think it just adds, you know, such a reality to your experience of everything. I really identify with your wife's story. I had mercury toxicity as well. So I completely empathize with that. I have so many questions from what you said, but I, I think a good one to start off with is... So with supplementing with the protein and the in the amino acid form, is it filling in the deficit because it's more digestible? And what I mean by that is, is it possible people are eating enough protein in theory, but they can't assimilate and digest all of it? Or is it like purely an amount thing? I think some people it's one and some people it's the other. You know, if someone has a cup of coffee and a donut or a bagel for breakfast and a salad with a little bit of chicken at lunch and maybe the same thing for dinner, or they have pasta with a little meat sauce and 
that they're probably not getting enough protein for what their needs are. So in that case, it's not enough. In the other case, virtually everyone living on planet Earth now has an intestine that's far from optimum. You know, people get heartburn and bloating and gas and they take remedies or they go to doctors who give them remedies, which very rarely address the real problem and then give them symptomatic relief. So they're taking Pepsid or Nexium or things to control constipation or things to control diarrhea. But the basic underlying problem with their digestion and their absorption isn't really being handled. And so when I saw that almost everybody had low levels of essential amino acids in their blood. And then I started to look, started to do stool tests, functional stool tests. What we found is that virtually everybody doesn't have enough good bacteria, is overgrown with pathogenic or bad bacteria or yeasts or parasites. And many people don't have enough digestive enzymes or they don't make enough hydrochloric acid in their stomach to be able to digest protein, that this leads to digestive troubles, but it also leads to not being able to digest the, the food that you eat so that you can get the benefit of it. You know, when you take an acid blocker, which there's something like 20 million prescriptions or more a month of written drugs, but now many of these are over the counter. And, you know, you watch TV and it shows the guy, he ate a hoagie and he got a stomach ache. And his solution is next time if he takes Pepsid and he goes to the Italian restaurant and eats the hoagie, he doesn't get the heartburn because now he doesn't have any stomach acid and he doesn't digest. And he's at high risk for mineral deficiencies and stomach cancer and things like this, that he's doing the exact wrong thing of, of what he should be doing. So. By supplementing amino acids, we sort of can hit both of those camps, like the people who aren't eating enough and the people who aren't digesting it, because these are eight essential amino acids, but they're already pre-digested and they're in a form which is absorbed even through damaged intestines. And so you can sort of build the level in your body of amino acids and then proteins so that the body can rebuild its structure and its function. When I first started the product, within a couple of months, I added actually about 11 pounds of lean body mass. I did not look any different from the outside. My biceps weren't any bigger and my waist wasn't any bigger, but I gained all this weight and the weight was bone density and organ density and connective tissue density that because I had been a vegetarian, I was lacking essential amino acids and my body wasn't, you know, making the structure that was really needed to support it in its optimum form. And so sometimes we see the same thing happen in other people. We see, you know, when people come into the office, we, we have a scale that will measure their body compartments. So we get, you know, fat and how much water and, and how much lean body mass. And we'll see people who maybe don't gain very much weight, but their lean body mass goes up and it's accompanied by, oh, my nails don't break anymore. Or, you know, I'm not really happy with you, doctor, because I used to go to the hairdresser every two months, but now I've got to go every five weeks because my hair is growing so fast. You know, things like that, where these, you know, hair is protein. And if you got enough, you'll 
you'll you'll make what you should. And if you don't have enough, the body may that may be a target for the body where you don't it's growing slower because it just the the raw materials aren't available. I've been fascinated by the studies on like overconsumption when they do hypercaloric diets and just use protein for those extra calories and how people, I mean, what I've seen, they don't really gain weight. They gain lean body mass, if anything, which is really, really interesting. Stepping back just to paint a broad picture, because I know I feel like since we're throwing around words like amino acids and protein, could you just paint a picture of what are amino acids and what's the difference between amino acids and protein? Okay. So if you look at what are called macronutrients, so these are the big things. So we have carbohydrates and fats and proteins, and that's what makes up the body. And if you add water and vitamins and minerals, you pretty much have everything that the body's made out of. Now, all of the macronutrients have three elements in common. Like all proteins have carbon and hydrogen and oxygen, and all carbohydrates have carbons and hydrogens and oxygens, and all fats have carbons and hydrogens and oxygens. So the basic building blocks of each of these things is the same, and the way they're arranged are different. But amino acids have one difference, which fats and carbohydrates don't have, and that is they have nitrogen. And amino in Greek means nitrogen. So all amino acids have carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen. And one of the ways that, I, that is kind of easy to think about it is if you think of language. So in English, we have an alphabet, and the alphabet has 26 letters. And if you put the letters together in different combinations, you get different words. Some words are very short. They have one letter, like like I or A, and some words have, you know, 25, 30 letters. And there may be, I don't know, 400,000 words in the English language. So you can get all these, this different array. And if you think of proteins the same way, there is amino acids, which are the simplest building block. And the alphabet has 22 different ones. So there's 22 different amino acids. They all have carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and nitrogen but they're arranged in different patterns. And if you put these amino acids in, like the alphabet, in different ways, you get protein. So a protein is by definition, 30 or more amino acids in a specific sequence. Now our body has in the neighborhood of 50,000 different proteins. So that's the structure of the body. And it's collagen and bone and hair and nails and enzymes and immune cells and muscle cells. These are all made out of proteins, which are made out of amino acids. Now, some proteins have a lot of amino acids in them, and some don't have as many. So if you look at thyroid hormone, it's not really a protein, but it's a single amino acid, which is called tyrosine, with three iodines on it, and that's thyroid hormone. If you look at, say, insulin, it has, I think, 140 amino acids in a specific combination, and that's insulin, or growth hormone, I think, has 89 or 90 amino acids in a specific sequence, and that's growth hormone. 
skeletal muscle, one of the parts of skeletal muscle, it's a protein called actin, has over 5,000 amino acids per one muscle spindle, one muscle fiber. So, so the body has to make all this stuff, and, but the building blocks are amino acids. And in the amino acid biochemistry, there are eight of them which are in every protein. So if you're missing any of the eight and your body wants to make a protein, if the levels in the cell of that amino acid are low, that protein can't get made because the slot where that amino acid goes in in that protein can't be filled by something else. And so what we find is if people have low serum, low blood levels of amino acids, that means that the cells are probably going to have low levels. And when the cells, you do a hard workout and your muscles are sore, if the amino acids are there and available, the muscle starts being made actually while you're doing the exercise. And if it's not there, you might be sore for five days or seven days, but by the time you eat enough to fill in all the holes, the recovery, the, the muscle or connective tissue or whatever it is, doesn't get made. And that's why you either you heal slow or your workouts aren't giving you progress or you're not seeing growth if what you're trying to do is build, you know, build lean body mass. And if you supply excess amounts of essential amino acids, then you fill that gap. Then your body can put its sort of building and repairing mechanisms in use right away because it has the raw materials to do it. So the non-essential amino acids, they can be made from the essential amino acids? Exactly. So there's eight essential, 14 non-essential. And we did an experiment with Perfect Amino, which is we measured levels of serum amino acids fasted. We gave people 10 grams of essential amino acids of Perfect Amino. And then we measured blood levels of their amino acids at 30, 60, and 90 minutes. And we found that within, within actually 23 minutes, the amino acids, if they're taken on an empty stomach with water, juice, or a sports drink, that the amino acids were in the bloodstream within 23 minutes. And that within 30 to 60 minutes, the non-essential amino acid levels went up too because the body will make the non-essential ones that it needs from the essential ones. And that all you have to do is give the essential ones. It's really interesting. People, you know, pretty consistently test the other two macronutrients in their bloodstream. So, you know, blood sugar from carbohydrates and fatty acids and cholesterol and all of that. So with the amino acid testing, it seems to be with blood sugar and blood fats, we often want lower levels, but with protein that's not the case, correct? Like higher would be better or could higher also indicate that maybe it's not being used? Well, sometimes on the test, you'll see that people have real high levels of a whole bunch of amino acids and then they're not being used. And in order to utilize them, usually in that circumstance, we'll find that they have a B6 deficiency or magnesium deficiencies because those are two cofactors which are necessary for the body to put amino acids into, you know, to manufacture them into proteins. But most people have low levels of essential amino acids, all vegetarians, all vegans. I could look at a profile and tell you this person doesn't need any animal protein because they're, they're very low. And there are a few people 
who have a gut bacteria profile that are more like a cow than they are a human. Their bacteria are able to synthesize for them amino acids and they have decent amino acid levels in their blood, but those people are very rare. So, you know, there's some famous bodybuilders that were, you know, vegans or plant-based only, and obviously they built big muscles. And those guys have very unique microbiomes. But for the vast majority, 98, probably 99% of people, if they're not eating adequate animal protein with good digestion and absorption, or they're not supplementing with perfect amino, they're going to have low levels of essential amino acids. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference. May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Oh, wow. I'm really glad you touched on that. I was going to ask you if most likely the figures we see that are vegan and you know have ample muscle it's likely that they have a constitution with their gut microbiome that they are able to do that. And that might not pan out to the, the general population. Well, it, it definitely doesn't pan out to the general population. It's mostly the general population has a terrible microbiome profile. But you look at the guys and there's some guys that they look great, but they're not ordinary. If they are really just eating, you know, a plant-based diet, they, they, have, a special, they have a special microbiome as far as I can tell. And out of the the eight, maybe I should list what they are if listeners are familiar. So it's methionine, leucine, isoleucine. How do you say it? Is it phenyl, phenyl, how do you say the phenylalanine? Phenylalanine. Phenylalanine, phenylalanine, lysine, valine, threonine, and tryptophan. So out of those, is one needed way more than the others? Is it a pretty even split? Well, here's what's interesting, and this is what we discovered, is that there is an optimal amount, if you're going to use it as a dietary supplement for protein, 
there is an optimal amount of each one in the mixture so that you get the maximum utilization of the protein. And let me just take a step back and talk about utilization of proteins. If you look at other proteins, like you look at, say, cow muscle or fish or eggs or soybeans or dairy proteins, they have their own mixture of amino acids in those proteins. And then when we eat them and digest them, what comes into our body is whatever the mixture is of those things. And you can do a balance study since proteins have nitrogen and carbs and fats don't. You could do a test with someone where you measure how many grams of nitrogen based on the food that they eat did they take in in a 24 hour period. Proteins by weight are about 16% nitrogen. So if you had someone eat as their protein source, let's say whey protein, and they ate fruits and vegetables which have negligible proteins. So their main protein for the day was whey protein, and they had four scoops of whey protein throughout the 24 hour period, which would be 100 grams of whey protein. And since about 16% of it is nitrogen, it would be 16 grams of nitrogen that they actually put into their body. If that 16 grams of nitrogen in the form of amino acids, that the body took it and used it 100% to make body protein or repair body protein, then if we looked in the urine, we collected the urine for the whole day, none of the nitrogen that came in would come out or, ver- or almost none of it would come out because it got utilized. It got incorporated into the body protein. And let's say the guy worked out hard that day or he was, you know, he was in a car accident and he had a lot of trauma where the protein was utilizable. Then he would, he would if, the, if the whey protein were perfect, it would all be utilized and no nitrogen would come out. And there would be no calories from what he ate because none of it would be burned because it would all be utilized to make protein. If you actually do the study, what happens is, is only 16% of the nitrogen that's taken in is retained and 84% comes out in the urine. And so if you look at different foods, so dairy products are about 16% what we call nitrogen utilized, where 16% of the amino acids in that food got made into body protein or incorporated into body protein. 84% didn't. And the didn't, what happens is, is that the body takes the nitrogen off of that carbon, hydrogen, oxygen chain. It complexes it with some other things in the liver and and we pee it out. One of the big reasons why we urinate is to get rid of, of nitrogen. You, everyone's seen a blood test, which is B-U-N, blood urea nitrogen. And it's a measure of how much nitrogen is actually in the blood from the proteins that you ate. And people who have kidney problems who can't get rid of the nitrogen, their B-U-Ns go real high. And they might have to go on a dialysis machine to get rid of the nitrogen. So if we eat whey protein, 16% gets utilized, 84% doesn't, that comes out in the urine. 
If you look at meat, fish, and eggs, they're about 33% utilized. They're about twice as good as dairy. Still, though, we have, you know, 67% of it is coming out. And so people who are doing carnivore or something, are they getting any carbs? Sure they are. They're breaking their meat down into carbs. And if, if you're, you know, some people are wearing continuous glucose monitors and they may find that when they eat a big meat meal that their blood glucose goes up, it's because they're, they're, the proteins are getting turned into glucose because that's the body can do that. The best regular protein in terms of utilization is whole chicken eggs. So if you eat the yolk and the white, 48% of the amino acids are retained by the body, are used by the body to build protein. If you just use the white, you know, for a while, low fat was in fashion and yolks were bad and people ate egg whites and the egg whites without the yolk reduced from 48% utilizable to 16% utilizable. In the yolk is methionine. It's one of the essential amino acids. And you need the yolk to complement the white to make it the, the best sort of protein you can eat. The only thing better than that is breast milk. It's about 49% utilized, but it's hard to get breast milk in quantity, you know, for people to consume. So we can't have it. The magic of perfect amino and the reason I called the book The Search for the Perfect Protein is that when you take perfect amino, which is the eight essential amino acids, in a very specific ratio, 99% of the nitrogen is retained. And so the, the effect that people get, which is very powerful, and there's, there are thousands of stories on the Body Health website of people who like, it changed my life, my energy came back, blah, blah, whatever it is, my sleep got better, my depression lifted, is because these amino acids are utilizable by the body to do what the body's supposed to do, but it couldn't do it because of some block in digestion absorption or the quality of protein that they ate. And so because it's 99% utilizable, there's virtually no calories. So 10 grams, you know, 10 tablets of amino acids, which is what we recommend people take every day, is only four calories. So if you want to use it for weight loss, you can supply your whole daily protein by taking 10 tablets three times a day, and it's 12 calories. Whereas if you're eating chicken breasts or, you know, roast beef or eggs, you're going to get hundreds of calories in order to meet your daily protein requirements. And so this makes it something that if you're, if you're trying to cut, you can, you can really do it. So if you... For example, we're just eating perfect amino. Once you hit your requirement for essential amino acids, what would happen then? Then would you start excreting nitrogen or what would happen? Yeah. Okay. So it's like no calories up until you top off what you need for protein. Right. And then it would be burned as fuel? What, what would happen to it? It'd just be burned. Yeah. It'd just be treated like any other excess. It's actually kind of hard to do. I mean, we have... You know, we, we say that you could meet your body requirements in 30 grams a day. And if, you know, depending, if, if you're a bigger person, if you're more active, we all actually have a different need. And we, I actually have people experiment with it. If, if they come in and, you know, I see that they've got osteoporosis and they've got lean body wasting and they've got low hormone levels, 
I will put them on more right away. I'll put them on 10 grams twice a day, plus have them eat three meals a day or two meals a day, depending on are they fast, you know, they do trying to do an intermittent fast or not with, you know, with animal protein. On the ones who are vegetarian or vegan, I'll give them a lot for a long time because they, they're, they're depleted and they're actually protein malnourished and they'll, then they can fill in and they notice a difference. You know, their fatigue or their, you know, their hormone levels, they, 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 they improve, you know, three to six months, their, their levels in their blood will go back up to what they should be. The other beautiful part of this is because there's a lot of people who are trying to control glucose or they're doing ketogenic diets and they don't want to raise their blood sugar and they want to keep their ketones high, that if you take 10 grams of perfect amino on an empty stomach, there is no spike in insulin and there is no spike in blood sugar because it's not being turned into a carbohydrate. And so this is very easy to add into anyone who's using those, that it's not going to pull you out of a fasted state and it's not going to raise your blood sugar. I thought proteins themselves were insulogenic on their own. Well, dairy is very much so. Soybeans and dairy are about the same. They're about 16 or 17% utilized, but it just depends. And it's also individually dependent. I mean, you can, you can have a, a protein meal and if you're, if you're testing your blood sugar, you can see in your body, what is it actually doing? You know, is it raising blood sugar? Is it raising insulin? You can do a sort of a, a glucose challenge test, not with glucose, but you could do it with, okay, I'm going to eat a pound of hamburger. My zero level insulin when fasted is this and my blood sugar is this. And then half hour, one hour, hour and a half, two hours. What did those do in response to that meal? And in most people, you will see a rise in insulin and a rise in blood sugar because they are turning it into carbo, some of it, you know, 67% of it into carbohydrates, again, depending on their digestion and their absorption. I'm wearing a CGM right now. So listeners are pretty familiar with that. That would also be another good way to see how you're reacting to everything. Another question about the essential, I have so many questions about the essential amino acids. You mentioned how there's eight, but then there's talk out there about histidine and arginine. And Actually, you mentioned fasting as well. I was curious about fasting and the implications of could the body create all the proteins that it needed indefinitely through autophagy alone. And I was reading how arginine was essential and possibly couldn't be created through autophagy and was needed for the heart. You talk in the book a little bit about arginine and histidine. So are those essential or or not? Well, in the in the textbooks, they're they're usually termed conditionally essential, but they're not essential because when we did the experiment with, okay, measure serum amino acids, give 10 grams of perfect amino, measure levels of amino acids at 30, 60, 90 minutes, the arginine and histidine go up. The body does make it. They're, they're not essential. If, now, now, if you took other amino acid mixtures, it may not work because the, the formulation of this is unique. One of the most interesting aspects of this is like, like you look at collagen and the biggest dietary supplements on the market are the ones that have been, that have had the best marketing, not necessarily the best science. Centrum vitamin, I think sells a billion a year and it's all chemical, you know, toxic petroleum extracts. It's like, it's like a horrible thing, but it's well, well marketed. And so they sell a lot. And the same thing was done with whey protein, whey protein was an extract 
of making cheese. It was a byproduct of cheese, which at some point was sort of thrown away because they didn't know what to do with it. And someone got the idea, well, this could be a good protein. And that's what whey is. Dairy protein has, has two main proteins. One is casein, which is what the cheese part is, and whey is the other part, which used to be thrown away. So now whey has become a multi-billion dollar industry. But as a protein, a lot of people have digestive trouble with it, and it's insulinogenic, and it's only 16% utilized, so it's not a great protein. If you look at collagen, which is the one that's come next, where it's, you know, billions are being sold in collagen. If you look at the amino acid profile of collagen, there's no tryptophan in collagen. So it's missing an essential amino acid. The ability to make protein from collagen is going to be very compromised. And most of the amino acids in collagen are proline and hydroxyproline. They're not essentials. So it's, you know, if you do the balance studies on it, it's, it's going to turn out you know, really not very good, but it's, it's popular. It's in flavors that people enjoy. And I'm not saying it's bad for you, except a lot of the sources of it are, you know, animal feathers and beaks and who knows what those animals were fed and what's in there. There are some organic collagens and of course they're better. It isn't good dietary science. Yeah, actually, the episode I aired today was with Dr. Campbell McBride, who wrote The Gaps Diet. And she talked about the potential toxicity of collagen. And I've been coming across that more and more just because of the the potential for toxins to attach to that matrix. It's a little bit scary. <laughs> so another question about the actual amino acids. What do you think about the inflammatory potential of the different ones? Like a lot of people in the low protein sphere or vegetarian or vegan sphere demonize animal proteins because of their high methionine content. Like, what do you think is going on with all of that? I think it's mostly baloney. There have been, we do a lot of cancer in our clinic. And so I've looked at this literature pretty extensively. Like they, they, they tried to do low methionine diets so that you could starve the cancer cell and it wouldn't be able to replicate because it didn't have enough methionine. But methionine is an essential amino acid. It is in every protein, in every cell, in the body. And you can't selectively starve one without starving the other. You can do it with glucose in cancer because many cancers are glucose hungry. And if you starve them from, from simple car, you know, from carbohydrates, you can affect the cancer cell and slow it down. But it doesn't work with amino acids. And vegetarians, there is no literature that I know of that vegetarians have less cancer than anybody else. It just isn't true. And that, and, and, you know, it just isn't true. So I, I think that our bodies evolutionarily, I have no of no long-term vegetarian populations. We were hunter-gatherers. A lot of time on planet Earth was ice age where there just weren't good vegetables and fruits and people ate what they could get, which was, you know, squirrels and fish and deer and whatever else was around. I grew up in the 50s and if you've ever eaten a, an apple, a wild apple from the 50s, we all knew that you could eat one kind of, but they were really sour and pulpy. But if you ate more than one, you were getting a stomach ache. Because wild fruit through the generations until this modern era of hybridizing fruit, so all the apples and strawberries and oranges and papayas and mangoes and all these fruits virtually 
have been hybridized to look beautiful and have more shelf life and be sweet. But that's not what fruit and vegetables were like. They were bitter and they were pulpy and the amount of nutrition in them wasn't very good. And most people aren't going to eat a whole lot of very sort of pungent dandelion leaves. You can put some in there, but if you're going to try to get your nutrition from it, you're going to eat something more substantial, like have a piece of fish or have some eggs. I just don't think that, that that's correct. And that people who do it, you know, they just look more and more muscle wasted again, unless they have this special biome. So throughout history and the food that we've been eating, you just mentioned, you know, how fruit has changed and the carb content. And we know that fatty acid contents of things have changed, but protein, the, um, the makeup of the different essential amino acids and things like that, does that stay pretty consistent throughout history or does that evolve and change as well? Well, no, I mean, I think a, a buffalo liver is pretty close to a cow liver is pretty close to a goat liver. You know, I think there's a little bit of differences, but in terms of the nutrition. I mean, I think in old times, they mostly were eating the organs and not as much the skeletal muscle because the organs had more nutrition and they tasted better. And now we've gotten, I mean, I, I was bred on, you know, take the fat off the meat and eat the lean meats and don't eat the organ meats because they're no, you know, they don't, they're not good for you or they don't taste good or they have too much cholesterol or whatever the thing was. And, but I think all of that is you know, somebody just made that up and, and then they got people to agree with it. And they paid scientists to, to show that, that, that if they said that, they could make more money at it. And that's sort of where, where nutrition is at today. It's, it's you can buy what you want and you can buy the science that you want. But really, I think if you go back to two million years of evolution on Earth, what were people eating and what's good for us? You know, some of the the Cordain literature on just acne in teenagers. I think there was 5,600 teenagers with acne and they put them on a paleo diet. So meat, fish, fish, eggs, fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds, nothing processed, nothing added, you know, no grains, no beans, no dairy. And I think 90 plus percent of them in six months, their acne was gone. And I think that's what we find in our clinic that, that, Many people within six weeks, if we can just get them on the correct foods and depending on what their disease process is, it's either some form of keto or some form of paleo, get them off grains and beans and dairy and nightshades that their stomachs, their digestion gets better and they usually lose a couple pounds if that's what they wanted to do and they start to feel better and they have cravings for a couple of weeks, but that goes away and they, they, they get more to, to what I really think a native diet is for, for humans. What do you think is going on with the long-lived populations that have lower protein intakes? I'm haunted by this question. <laughs> I'm haunted by the low protein for longevity theory. Well, what they say is eat low protein, push your IGF-1 down as far as you can, have a body that you're cold all the time, and lose your muscle, probably your brain, and that you can live longer, and that's ideal. And on the flip side of that is manage your mTOR by getting plenty of protein with periods where you don't have protein, 
and keep your hormone and your body temperature and your growth hormone and your other hormone levels up, keep your muscle mass that I think you're going to live just as long and the quality of your life is going to be better. I just think this, this other thing is not, it isn't right. <laughs> Hi friends. An incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold control contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee and use the coupon code MELANIEAVALON to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash dangercoffee with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10-year decade bulletproof coffee habit. But sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. I actually recently had Dr. Walter Longo on the show and he's does a lot of research in fasting and low protein diets and 
I was asking him, because the diet that I follow is I eat super high protein, but I, I do fasting every day. So I have, you know, periods of low mTOR during the fast. And for listeners, mTOR is basically the genetic pathway for like a growth stimulus responding to food and other things maybe, but probably, or just food. I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) In any case, having low mTOR during the fast and then eating a really high meal at night, I feel like it's the best of both worlds because you, like you mentioned, you get all of that, the building blocks that you need and all of the support, but then you can still have the fast during the day. And when I don't, when I eat low protein, I'm starving. Like I crave protein like none other. And like I asked him if my body would adjust to a low protein diet. And he was saying that the body does adjust, that it would take like a few months. I've heard that before that like your body adjusts to your protein intake. Is there something actually going on with that or not really? Well, I mean, people, you know, in all different cultures, in periods of starvation, adjust to little or no food. But, but in today's world, the challenges to, to being healthy these days are very tough because there's so much poisons around that we're in and so much denatured food that I think if you're, you know, if you're eating low protein, you're eating starches all day long. You know, it's, you're eating starches. You're going to eat potatoes and rice and beans. And I've done that and you can adapt to it. But I think, and I think that there are, that it isn't for me a one size fits all. I saw, I saw somebody today and she's a, a, a tall, muscular female, very athletic. And she's been trying to do protein fat and she's starving all the time. And I said, well, why don't you add some carbs and see if that doesn't help you better? So I think some of it is working with what you got, but I think if people who are eating 60% of the population is obese and has insulin out of control, and most people I see that are on high-carb diets cannot control their insulin with high-carb diets. It goes high, and they they build body fat and they lose body protein. And if you, if you have your CGM on, I've been wearing a CGM for three years, my body will not tolerate, you know, and everyone in my family has diabetes and heart attacks. So, you know, you all, everybody has their own genetic sort of makeup. But if I do a, a six hour bike ride, pretty much fasted, I'm taking perfect amino and electrolytes and I'm totally fine. And my blood sugar at the end of six hours is 87. It's steady. I'm, my mental clarity is really good. And I go home and think, oh boy, I'm gonna, I deserve some carbs now. I'm going to eat some carbs. And I put a cup or a cup and a half of blueberries in a smoothie with some green powder and some fish oil and throw a couple eggs in there. My blood sugar will go to 180 on a cup of blueberries. Now that's me, but when I have people wearing these CGMs and I have hundreds of people wearing them, if they want to get their blood sugar under control, they can't eat carbs. They can't eat potatoes and they can't eat rice. And I I haven't, I've done this experiment with myself. I, I love black beans, but if I go, there's a Mexican restaurant across from my office, the food is fresh. It's really good. 
And I go in there and say, okay, I want a bowl. Now, usually they'll put rice on the bottom, but I can't eat rice. So I say, okay, put a couple handfuls of shredded cabbage. And then they'll put a spoonful of, you know, like a big portion of guacamole and a big portion of some, some chopped up pico de gallo type stuff. And then they have some peppers and onion sauteed, throw that in there, grill me up six shrimp, perfect meal. I go in there with my blood sugar 90, it goes to 102, it comes right back down to 90 within an hour, and that's a perfect meal. And if I take that same meal and I say, okay, I want some beans today, and they'll give me a scoop of black beans, it's probably a third of a cup, my blood sugar will go to 155. So I just don't find that if you do those diets for most people, at least the people I'm seeing, that they'll ever conquer their weight or their visceral fat accumulation, or their insulin glucose dysregulation. Yeah, I'm so glad that you touched on that because I'm all about finding what works for you personally. And people seem to react all over the board, especially to different macronutrient breakdowns. Like for me, I actually, so I mentioned I eat a ton of protein, like pounds of meat or fish every night, but then I will do either low carb or low fat So when I do low carb, I add fat to it. But when I do low fat, I actually eat tons and tons of fruit. So I bet listeners were listening, laughing during the blueberries because I I will eat like pounds of blueberries (laughs) every single night with a lot of protein. Does your sugar stay good? Yeah. So it normally, like before eating, it'll usually be in the 80s and then it'll go up maybe to 120, maybe a little bit higher, but then it goes back down and then it's back to normal. So you're lucky. If I were to add fat as well, then I can't do that. It's like I have to be in like a low fat context to have the the high carb. So works for me. Something you mentioned though, I did want to ask you about the bun a little bit more. Is that a good indicator of kidney health or could you have a high bun if you're eating high protein and still have functioning kidneys? Like is the GFR more important or? The GFR is more important. I think you have to look at creatinine too. So if, the, if your creatinine is under one and your BUN is, say, high normal and you're eating a high-protein diet, I think it just means that you're breaking the protein down, the nitrogen showing up in your blood. I don't think it's unhealthy. But I think if, you're, you know, if it's running too high, it may be that you are getting too much protein, assuming that you have normal creatinine and, and, and normal GFR. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's always high, which could be from all of that. Above their range? Mm-hmm. When they do the other kidney tests, they're normal. So I, I think it's just the massive amounts of the only time I've seen it low, it's because it's always high. The only time I've seen it low was I actually had anemia and I had to be in the hospital for it. And so I was eating hospital food and wasn't able to eat my massive amounts of protein. And so it, my bun normalized <laughs> during the hospital stay. You know, the other thing you might try is because the protein has a high water content too, and and that before the blood test in the morning, drink a couple pints of water, like an hour before the blood test, because BUN also can show like, if you're a little bit dehydrated and you, and you hemoconcentrate a little bit, that it may, de- it may be that. And so if you get up at seven o'clock and you have a couple quarts of water, and then your test is at eight o'clock or 8.30, it may dilute you out to what would be normal for you if you weren't mildly dehydrated, and then it might look normal. Thank you. I will definitely try that. Some random questions that I thought of. You were talking about the different usability of 
the different foods and, you know, with eggs being the most usable and chicken being up there as well. So I'm doing an episode pretty soon on spirulina, which gets the, it gets the, uh, what's the word? Something about it being like the highest protein content per weight or whatever, but you do talk about in the book. So what should be understood there with things that are branded as being high protein, but maybe that's misleading. So spirulina. Well, spirulina, we, we looked at 20 something strains of spirulina and what's, what's important, you know, and the, and the, and the sort of byline is, you know, that's all that whales eat is spirulina and they eat this stuff, this algae and it, and it look, you can grow a 20 ton whale or whatever they weigh, but we're not whales. And the amino acids that we need are the ones that we need. And so a baby calf can, can drink cow's milk and grow into a substantial animal. But spirulina has a very low net nitrogen utilization. Like, like it's missing a couple essential amino acids or they're there in very low amounts. The analogy is kind of like you want to build a car, which would be a protein. And in order to build a car, you need four wheels and a chassis and a steering wheel and a motor as sort of the basic minimum thing. So the protein is the car and it's got components of wheels, chassis, steering wheel, motor. Now, if I drop off on your manufacturing lot, a hundred wheels and a hundred chassis and a hundred motors, and 10 steering wheels, how many cars can you make? Well, you can only make 10. Because if you don't have a steering wheel, you don't have a car. Now, what are you going to do with all the rest of the stuff? In the body, there's no storage depot for protein. So for carbs, there's a storage depot. It's glycogen. And for fats, there's a storage depot. It's fat. And so some of the carbs can get stored as fat and some of the fat can get stored as fat. But in proteins, there's no storage depot. It's the tissue itself. So now you've got all these excess amino acids or these car parts, which weren't utilized to make that car. You know, you got, you got a whole set of wheels and 90 extra chassis. And in the body, what happens is that's your BUN. It's not utilizable. So it's going to get broken down. So the nitrogen comes off. That's the BUN. And the other stuff is the calories. And the calories get burned or stored depending on what, you know, what the body needs are. So spirulina is a lot of wheels and a lot of chassis and a lot of motors and hardly any steering wheels. And so the body just doesn't do much with it because it can't because it isn't what's needed. So because I'm assuming with your perfect amino supplement that it by itself works with itself to be completely utilized. If you're in a situation where you have your normal meal with your normal protein, and then you just add some perfect amino to that meal, does it at all help utilize the protein from your meal? Or is it because it's, you know, perfect in itself? Does it just utilize itself? You know, if you want it perfect, take it 23 minutes before your meal and it's in your bloodstream and it's 100% utilized or 99% utilized and 
and and then eat whatever you want and it you get whatever benefit you get out of it if you added it to let's say you had you added it to whey protein then you'd get somewhere in the middle it would bring the the 16% of the whey you know up to i don't know maybe 50% and then you dilute down the 99% to where you know, there was sort of a halfway medium so it works both ways but if you want the maximum use out of it take it on an empty stomach because it or you know with something that doesn't have fat because it'll get stuck in your stomach so if you have it with some fruit or fruit juice or vegetables or you know it it goes in very fast and it's utilizable it can be used with other foods as well it just will bring up the low utilization of the other proteins and and the amount that you'll get from the the perfect amino will be less and how is it different from BCAAs? I bet listeners are like, hmm, can I just add? Well, BCAAs are, that stands for branched chain amino acids. And leucine, isoleucine, and valine in the carbon, hydrogen, oxygen structure of the molecule, there is a branch. There is a, there is a you know, one, one of them's going one way and the other one's going the other way. So they call them branched chain amino acids. And those, those three. And there's been a lot of promotion of branched-chain amino acids as, boy, these are the things. If you take branched-chain amino acids, since it's only three out of eight, you don't use any of them. You know, you're gonna be, they're going to turn into carbohydrates. And the research on branched-chain amino acids, what it shows is that if you use them while you're, you're doing things, you will spare your own body from breaking down its protein so it can get the calories out of the protein for glucose and fuel, or you will burn the branched chain amino acids, but they're basically a complete waste of money if you're trying to use them to build your own body protein. They don't, they don't do it. They, the, the nitrogen utilization is zero. Now, if you add them to other foods, you know, you get some benefit and you could sort of maybe piece together something better than zero. But I think you might as well just have a banana because that's basically what it's doing. It gives you some calories that are utilizable. And I, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't see the benefit of them. So are they muscle sparing? They could be muscle sparing, yes. You know, if the body needed calories and it couldn't access your own body fat or your own glycogen. Okay. Another topic that we haven't touched on yet, but it's a huge, huge part of your book as well, is the role of enzymes. I'm obsessed with enzymes. So what are enzymes... Are they also made from amino acids and how do they interact with proteins? What are they doing? Yes. So probably the step in evolution that occurred very, very early on before there was any actual, you know, the, before there was any life is on a biochemical level, there was an accidental assembly or a, or a created assembly, you know, depending on, on, on how you think things started, where you had a protein which had an ability to put other things together and the things that were put together could do something that the things separately couldn't. And that's what an enzyme is. An enzyme is something that allows a reaction to occur between two or more things that you can then make something different and possibly better out of it, or if you have something that's already assembled and you want to break it down, that there are enzymes which will cleave the bonds between things to separate things out. So 
enzymes make the body go. They are the reason that we are able to have a, a biochemistry that we live. And there's some enzymes that are like necessary in digestion and they break food down. So if you have a protein with, you have, you ate a steak and you have 5,600 amino acids in a chain, which the body can't use, it's too big. It can't absorb it. And so these enzymes start in the stomach and they come in the small intestine, trypsin, chymotrypsin, pepsin. They start cleaving these amino acids off. So now you have 5,600 separate little pieces, which then can be absorbed in the body. And then another set of enzymes allow the body to put leucine next to valine next to tryptophan and make XYZ protein. So they're either used in assembly to put things together or they're used in breakdown to separate things. And they're all proteins. So one of the sort of catch-22s that happens is a person is on a low amino acid diet and one of the things that the body has to make out of those amino acids is digestive enzymes. So the pancreas makes enzymes and the stomach makes enzymes to digest proteins. But if you're on a low protein diet and you don't make, you don't have enough coming in and the body has low levels of pepsin, which is a digestive enzyme in the stomach or chymotrypsin or trypsin, which are digestive enzymes, which enter the small intestine from the pancreas when you eat, then the digestion of those things is going to be slow or not good. And people after a while, like I eat meat and I get a stomach ache. Well, because you don't have any digest, enough digestive enzymes for the process to occur smoothly. And so we'll measure levels of chymotrypsin in the stool in people. And almost everybody we test who's over 40 has a chymotrypsin level of between 5 and 10, and it ought to be between 30 and 40. They need digestive enzymes and they need more amino acids so that eventually they could get to the point where now they have enough amino acids. They can make all the trypsin they need. They, need, they can make all the pepsin that they need. They can make all the thyroid hormone that they need. And something we didn't talk about is all the, the neurotransmitters, these are the, these are the molecules that the nerve cells use to communicate. So serotonin and dopamine and GABA, these are all made out of amino acids. 100% of depressed people, anxious people, sleepless people have disordered neurotransmitters. And a good part of the reason is they don't have the building blocks of amino acids to make them. And so they're short. And so doctors prescribe medications, you know, Valium and, you know, and, and SSRIs, which don't, they don't complete the, the amino acid deficiency. They just poison the nerve cell membrane. And for a while, the person might feel better, but they're not correcting the actual problem. So. These amino acids have such a broad role in overall body health that depending on what your body's deficiency is, it could fill that hole in a relatively short period of time. I tell people, look, give it three to six months. You may feel a big difference much quicker. It will fill things in. And when it fills things in, your body will work better. Your immune system, all your immune system is amino acids. It's proteins. These things, these cytokines and these leukotrienes, they're all proteins. And so, you know, in today's world where we have an epidemic, 
You know, you need amino acids like mad because you want to make sure your immune system is in top shape. A lot of people we see have, and their blood tests, they have low globulin. Globulin is immuno, short for immunoglobulin. These are proteins that are immune proteins. And they'll have low globulins. And they have some kind of low-grade chronic infection. They have a parasite or they have an infected tooth that they don't know about or they have something or chronic Epstein-Barr or something. And they have low globulins. Their body's immune system is down. It's not going to fight. And if we can supply enough amino acids, we can get the body to, to then fill in these things. And then, of course, it might be, you know, other vitamins and minerals and essential fats because it's not a, it's not a one, you know, it's not a one thing corrects everything. But this is what I found is that is the most neglected one. A long time ago, I was, a, I was the keynote speaker at the American College of Nutrition, and I, I did a lecture on this topic. And so you had 300 people in there who were all either PhD dietitians or they were clinical nutritionists, and they had never heard any of the information I'm telling you now or what's in the book. By the way, you can download the book free on, my, on the Body Health website, a PDF version, or you can go to Amazon and buy it for nine or 10 bucks. It's cheap. It will maybe fill in some of the holes I'm talking about here, but but I was supposed to speak for an hour, and I spoke for 50 minutes, and then I was going to take questions. And the questions went on so long that the next speaker got postponed an hour because these people were basically, why haven't we ever heard this? Why didn't we learn this? Why don't we know about this? And if you look at sort of what normal dietary practice is, it's so off base that that you know, the, what they've been sold is what companies who, you know, who manufacture different things have sold them. It's, it's, it really isn't practical, tested science. And among the most neglected parts are, are, are like amino acids and, and proteins and how important they are in health and for a healthy body. Hi friends, I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health, help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels. And I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD. And historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like a barrier, I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me 
Oh my goodness, friends, I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it. And it lasts for 14 hours. And it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And they look pretty awesome with my outfits. Not going to lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you want to boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and or optimize your partying. You need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I-O-N-L-A-Y-E-R and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, PS. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six patches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. It's so neglected. I'm just thinking back. I've, I mean, I've seen so many doctors and done so many blood tests. I mean, nobody has ever suggested doing a test for amino acids ever. And I don't think they would know what to do if, <laughs> if they did like, actually that's a question. So say you got back a blood test with your amino acid levels. Is the solution ever to selectively supplement with a certain type of amino acid, or is it really always to, you know, do something like perfect amino where you're getting all the different ones? For the general blood test, it's, it's, it's add perfect amino. If I do neurotransmitter tests and they have low serotonin, I will supplement tryptophan. Or if you know, if they have low dopamine, I'll supplement tyrosine. So you can use these individual amino acids because they, they can be active and they can push pathways or they can help. So I think that in general, people need the whole thing. And you may need to add, in addition to that, targeted things to, to make those, those separate things go faster. Okay. Gotcha. And then major question about the digestion that you were talking about. So the digestive process and the ordering of that and, you know, stomach acid, HCL, digestive enzymes. I know I 
take HCL and digestive enzymes. I know a lot of my listeners do as well. And something I've wondered about for a long time and has made me nervous is you outline it in the book, like the specific order of digestion and when these things are released and what they do. If a person is supplementing sort of casually with HCL or digestive enzymes, can the timing of that, the ordering of that mess up the natural order of how digestion is supposed to occur? Like pancreatic enzymes closing the sphincter or something like that? No, I think that I think they complement it. Like we we at Body Health, we make a product we call full spectrum digest, and it's a mixture of digestive enzymes plus hydrochloric acid. And you gotta get the stomach acid if you're gonna prevent heartburn, and you gotta get the stomach acid if you're gonna absorb minerals and digest protein. So I usually tell people, eat half your meal, take two or three of these capsules eat the rest of your meal. And then the digestive enzymes will start digestion in the stomach. Protein digestion is supposed to start in the stomach. Hydrochloric acid activates the enzyme in the stomach, which starts protein digestion. That's called pepsin. And then as it goes through into the small intestine, it goes from an acid environment to an alkaline environment. And the body will naturally do that. And I don't think you mess anything up. You, you, uh, Hydrochloric acid will will close the stomach sphincter so that you're not going to burp back up acid, and it in most people it cures their heartburn. And then the the stomach, when it's done digesting, will open up into the small intestine, and it seems to go very smoothly without problems. So I don't think you can really mess it up by doing what you're doing. So do you suggest any order to the enzymes in the HCL, or just all at once with the meal? I I, I think you can take them all at once. Yeah. Okay. I think about this like every single night that I eat. Okay. Well, this has been really, really amazing. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on that's really important to share with listeners? Any other topics related to all of this? I think the, just to go back for a minute, you know, this biochemical individuality, we're all a little bit different. We all have things that work for us. In my own experimentations with myself, I usually try to find a a something that I can actually monitor and see if in three months that is, you know, whatever the intervention I'm making has made a difference. And that, you know, there's so much promotion in these fields and some stuff's really good and some stuff doesn't do anything. And it might work for one person and it might not work for that person. I think there's some basic things that almost all of us need. So I put every person I see, we make a, a multi at Body Health and it's, it's two tablets in the morning, two tablets at night. And it's got about, it's, you know, in the middle fifties dollar wise for cost. But if you try to take this stuff, you know, separate CoQ10 and separate activated folate and, you know, separate each of the, all the B vitamins and separate extracts for, you know, the 16 whole food extracts in there. So separate liver support stuff, you know, you spend probably $200, but it's got all this in there and almost everybody needs some of this. And so that that's a sort of as a basic, so I put everybody on that. We measure levels of omega-3 fats in people and almost everybody's low. So I put them on an omega-3 supplement because they just need it. It's an anti-inflammatory. It's well tolerated. The fish oils on the market now are distilled. They're pure if it's from a good company, we make one called Omega-3 Health. It's really good. That's sort of a, everybody needs that. And everybody needs essential amino acids. And everybody needs kind of a greens powder concentrate. So there's oodles of them around. Find one that you like. It's 10 servings of fruits and vegetables. 
and it's it's worth it as an easy way to add antioxidant levels to your body. Almost everybody needs magnesium and almost everybody needs a source of iodine. So if you're eating seaweed, fine. Otherwise, take an iodine supplement because iodine deficiency is real. If you're living in Japan, you won't have it because of your diet. But in most of the United States, the iodine levels in food and soil is low. And so those are those are like basics, like, like it'll do almost everybody good. Then eat organic. If you if you're if you're better on carbs or you're better on protein, but organic food really makes a difference and it's really important and it's worth the money. And then I think the other things that are important, you know, is you got to make sure that you get enough sleep. And vitamin D is the other one. And in our body health uh, multi, there's 5,000 units of vitamin D. For most people, that's enough. Some people need more. And that if you look at things from that viewpoint, you can you can at least get in things that you must have. And then there may be things that you can add to make you better. I just have been, I, I use it, been using an aura ring for a few years and I've been watching my heart rate variability and I'm trying to make my, my heart rate variability like it used to be when I was 40. And I have just not been able to figure out like what will make that better. My variation in exercise hasn't done it and my sleep hasn't really made any difference. But I started taking a couple of supplements, some of the couple of advertised mitochondrial supplements, and my heart rate variability has almost doubled in two months. And I would, I, I feel it by how I feel, but I've got a metric, I've got a number that I'm like, holy smokes, like in my body, this stuff is really working. And I think, and for the people who are sort of like optimization of themselves, that maybe it's amino acid levels or maybe it's you know things like this that you could look at and then you can make the interventions and you can help yourself and you can get better and in our patients this is what we do you know i have a symptom questionnaire it's 100 you know it's 100 symptoms and every time they come in they go through the symptom questionnaire and i get somebody who comes in with a symptoms questionnaire score of 198 which is terrible zero is ideal and they come in at 198 and i see them i see them three months later, and their symptom score has gone to 54. And before I looked at the symptom score, I said, how are you doing? They said, well, I think I'm a little bit better. And I show them the thing. And, you know, you, you, you sort of get used to however you are. And like, they took 100 points off their symptom score. This is massive. So I can measure that stuff. And then we do a bioenergy test where we test their, their mitochondrial function, actually put them on a bicycle and measure how much, how well do they produce ATP for their body? And when they're getting better, their scores go up, you know, their bioenergy scores go up and they get, and, and, and then we have objective measurements and then it's reflected in how they feel and how they look. And then I know their health is actually getting better. What is that mitochondria test test? Like what substrate? The, the bioenergy? Yeah. Yeah. It measures the inhaled oxygen versus the exhaled CO2. Okay. So it's a resting basal metabolism. Okay. To show if they're burning carbs or fat. It shows if they're burning carbs or fats, but it also shows if their thyroid's worth anything. Because almost it's the best monitor I've got or that I've ever seen. If you've got a, a on the test, it's called an M factor. It's a metabolic factor. If a person's got a, M, a metabolic factor, 100, 110 is ideal. But if someone has a metabolic factor of 
let's say 75, and I reach over and feel their hands and their hands are cold, they're hypothyroid. I don't care what their blood levels look like, they're hypothyroid. And if we start adding thyroid onto them until they're, until they're metabolic, until the resting metabolism goes into normal range, their body will warm up, their energy will get better, their thoughts will get clear, they start to lose weight, their, their t, free T3, free T4 will go from middle, low normal to high normal. They won't go out of range. But the blood tests are very hard to monitor for that. And this bioenergy thing really, really is very, it's, it's not perfect, but it's really helpful for that. Wow. Is it, they breathe into it? Yeah, it's a mask and it, it measures them for 20 minutes, breathing, you know, how much in, how much out. And then we put them on a bike and we increase and see where they can, you know, like what it tests their VO2 max, but it also tests what their exercise tolerance is. And some people are at VO2 max at rest. Like they can't push the bike, you know, the, the, the chronic fatigue patient that says, I can't get out of bed. Like, like my win today was I was able to roll over and put my feet on the floor. And then I had to go back in bed because they're so, they're anaerobic at rest. And what this bioenergy thing tells you is what's their, what are their anaerobic thresholds? And that threshold, are they burning fat or are they burning carbs? And, you know, your body's supposed to burn mostly fat until you start to stress it. And these guys, when they first get bad, they stop burning fat, they start burning carbs. And then pretty soon their thresholds go down so that at rest, they're at threshold. And then you look at somebody who's got a VO2 max of 90 and you can't hardly even get them to hit threshold because they're, because they, you know, they, 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 they're so, their performance is so... I think one of the stories with Lance Armstrong was they, they had trouble getting his lactic acid up, going up a steep mountain at all he could because his body was so efficient at producing ATP and converting lactic acid into ATP that it, that it made him the, you know, gave him the performance that he had. So you can measure this in sick people and you can get a good idea. And it's another way to, like, like what I want to be sure of is what, is, is what I'm doing working for that guy. Yes, they got to feel better and look better. But what's their medical symptom score? What's their bioenergy score? You know, what's their heart rate variability? That these things are objective measurements that are easy to measure and that you can then, you know, that's the game we play is how can we, how can we get this better? And the people that are on the high end, their incidence of chronic illness and cancer and heart attacks and all that stuff is way, way down because their physiology is working. Yeah, I love that you talked about that, the importance of, you know, markers that you can actually measure. I as well, I have an aura ring. I'm obsessed. I've had Harpreet, the CEO, on the show multiple times. The thing that I recently have changed that has, I'm like shocked at how much it's affected my aura ring scores is, have you heard of a Soma Vedic? I uh, don't think so. It's a glass housing and it has various precious stones on the inside. It sounds really woo-woo, but you plug it in and they've done studies on it and how it mitigates EMF damage to cells. And I wasn't sure if it was actually going to do anything. I've started using it and my aura ring scores have improved since using it so much. Both sleep and readiness? Mm-hmm. I'm shocked, honestly. They sent me one originally. Now I'm so sold. I bought another one so that I could cover my whole apartment with it. S-O-M-A-V-E-T-I-C? S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C. Okay. <laughs> And like it, like it took it from 75 to 85 or it took it from 80 to 81? Like lower mid 70s and now I'm in the 80s. 
for the readiness. With same number of hours of sleep and same everything else? Mm-hmm. Like nothing else has changed. I mean, well, lots of stuff changes every single day of your life, but like nothing that I'm consciously aware of. It's impressive. It's not $5,000? Not the $5,000 one. No, they have one that's $5,000. No, I was kidding. Oh, they do have one though that's $5,000, but it's like plated with gold or something. (laughs) But no, they, they have studies on it though. One is published in a clinical journal. The others are not, but they're still pretty impressive. So yeah, one last thing I just have to touch on because you brought it up and I know my listeners are going to be asking me about this. The iodine thing, there are a few like nutritional things I'm haunted by. One, we talked about this entire episode, which was, you know, low protein versus high protein, but iodine is the only supplement I've taken before where I so severely reacted to it that it just sort of scared me. But then beyond that, I read Dr. Alan Christensen's The Thyroid Reset Diet and had him on the show. And he's very much a proponent of iodine being being the problem with the thyroid. So like too much iodine. And like his approach is actually an iodine restriction diet, like a low iodine diet. I'm just wondering if you come across any of that at all. Because now, I don't know, I get so nervous about supplementing iodine. Well, I mean, you can just... You can eat seaweed. You know, the average Japanese person has about 12 milligrams a day of iodine. That's from their normal diet intake with the fish that they eat and the nori that they eat. It's, it's, it's about 12 milligrams a day, which is really a lot. Comdardia, I think, is 400 micrograms or something like that. It's really low. And we, for a long time, we did iodine challenge tests on people. We gave them iodine and then we did the urine. And if they were sufficient in iodine in their body, they would dump all the iodine. But if they don't dump the iodine and they hold it, the theory of the test is that they needed iodine. And I think after the 500th one, with like 490 of them showing that they had iodine insufficiency, I started adding iodine to people. And we found a lot of hypothyroid people on their amino acid test, they had low tyrosine. And they had low iodine. And if we gave them iodine and we gave them perfect amino, which would, the amino acids would convert to tyrosine, that their thyroid numbers would normalize and they could come off thyroid if they were on thyroid medication. And so iodine, I find, is glow, you know, the thyroid needing iodine will fill itself up with fluoride and bromide. And there's, and if you start giving iodine, they will start to dump their fluoride and bloride bromide and chloride and they will they will get iodine levels that are good i can't tell you how many women i've seen that have fibrocystic breast disease and you put them on you know between 12 and 50 milligrams a day of iodine and in three to six months their fibrocystic disease disappears it goes away the breasts soften up the cysts go away same with ovarian cysts it's really i think rare that someone like I grew up in Wisconsin and when we, and it was the, it was the, it was the goiter belt and it was a goiter belt because there's no iodine in the soil in the Midwest. And when, when we were in like fifth and sixth grades, they would give us chocolate flavored iodine tablets in school every day. And they tasted really good. And we all fought over trying to get a second tablet because they were trying to get rid of this, this, this epidemic of, of goiters of, of hypothyroidism. I don't think that men, I mean, He's got his own experience, but my experience is almost everybody needs some iodine, and especially in those circumstances where there's any kind of cystic disease or hypothyroidism, that it helps people. And 
I give them my average is a half of, a, of an iodoral tablet. It's six milligrams of mixed iodine iodide. The side effects of too much iodine are sort of metallic taste and headache. I almost never see it. There's a few people who are iodine sensitive, so I wouldn't push it with them, but I try to get them to eat food that has higher iodine levels so that they at least get it. Yeah, no, I love hearing all the different perspectives. And your perspective is the, I think, the most conventional perspective or what what I hear from a lot of doctors. It's just, it's always interesting to hear the different theories. What happened to me was my eyes turned bloodshot red. I, I was I was like, oh, like, and that was how I knew it definitely. Because when you're, quote, reacting to a supplement, like, it can be vague, like, oh, I feel different or brain fog or, but no, this was like... <laughs> My eyes turned red. And- well, I mean, hypersensitivity occurs or you got a histamine reaction from it. For, so sure. So, I mean, I, I'm, I think that doesn't mean that you were iodine excess. It may have been that you're iodine, you know, sensitive, which, which sure, that surely can occur. Yeah. Well, thank you. For listeners, the show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash perfect protein. And I will put links to everything that we discussed here, the products, and so listeners can get perfect amino for themselves as well. Oh yeah, we didn't even mention listeners definitely get the book, The Search for the Perfect Protein, because we just barely touched on everything that's contained within. Oh, I was gonna ask you the studies that you talked about that were done like with athletes using perfect aminos. I was wondering if they were actually using yours or if they were using something that was similar to what you've created. It's the same formulation. Okay. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, the last question I ask every single guest on this show, and it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset is. So what is something that you're grateful for? Oh, too many things. I've got a wife of 52 years and I've got a practice that is extremely fulfilling. Like I actually touch people every day and it's an amazing feeling to go home and know that you've really helped a lot of people. And I have my own health, which I'm really grateful for because all my family members are sort of train wrecks body wise, and I can still do Ironman triathlons. I can live my purpose every day and enjoy it. I have eight grandchildren and three good kids. I could probably go on for a couple hours. No, I love it. Well, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing. I'm so excited that we connected and that I read your book because like I said, this was a topic I've been wanting to learn more about and dive deep into. And I mean, that is what you are doing. And then on top of that, not only are you spreading the information with the book, but you've created you know, this perfect amino supplement so people can actually take some agency and you know, hopefully change things for the better with that. So thank you so much. This has been amazing. And hopefully we can talk more in the future. Sounds great. Thanks, Melanie. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at melanieavalon.com. And always remember, you got this.